the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Good day. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Want to talk a little real estate, a little investing, a little place to live, or a little place to go broke, getting in over your head. Seems like real estate kind of inspires a little bit of everything, doesn't it? When you're first 18 years old, and well, now let's go back to 16, and you're listening to AM, FM radio with a, a, a cassette tape, and you you'd wait for the top five at 10, or the top 10 at 10, and you'd like steal music. You'd, you wouldn't pay for it, you'd, you'd record it. You know, my dad was such a jerk that he would come in the room and he's like, you, you're not paying for that. You're stealing it. I'm like, in hindsight, I'm like, dad, I bet when you were 16, you did the same damn thing. But now that you're 40, 45, 50, you're just a jerk. And as I turn 40, 45, I've become such a jerk where let's say someone, you know, hits your bumper and you're like, you've got a thousand dollar deductible. I'm like, I'm going to go down to a $500 deductible and then get it fixed and then go back to a thousand dollar deductible. At some point in your life, you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to play it by the rules. So I kind of get it. Anyway, um, so do you remember being 16, living in your your bedroom, and you just wanted to be away from your dad and listen to music? And, like, your room was, like, freedom. And then when you turned 18, you went off to college, and your dorm room was like, whoa, where's the laundry room? And you kind of discovered about nine weeks later. It's kind of like kind of a cool experiment in, in understanding what real estate means to you. And then you get out of college, and you're like, I love you, sugar booger. Let's get a place together. And then you kind of quickly learn that she poops. Um, secret to a good marriage, secret to a good relationship is separate bathrooms. And, you know, I remember at one point in time, I'm like, I'm at a hotel with a lady friend. I'm like, I'm going to go down to the, the lobby, make a phone call. That was code for, I'm going to go use the facility somewhere else and not have you hear this because I want things to maintain a sexiness to it. But space and living, um, areas kind of like define us as a society. Then we are like, let's get a place together. And you're like, we're going to make love in every room. We're going to put a coin in a jar, and that first six weeks, we're going to take the coins out of the jar every time we have whoopee. One more, one more. We're filling this baby up. Let's do one more. I've got a little testosterone going. And then through the years, you start taking it out, and, well, there's just still coins in it. So home ownership and renting and and owning, it's big stuff. And I've seen couples, you know, that turns into a massive fight on owning property. It's freaking Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. He does my loans. We're actually starting to work on putting my documents together for a loan. I feel like I'm in a rush, but I should kind of rush these things because once I get all the documents to you after a three-month period, you're going to say, I need new documents. Yeah. Those Uh, those W-2s from January, they need to be updated. Make sure you still have a job. And I'm with you on that. But it is a process. Uh, What's your thoughts when I'm talking about, like, isn't it funny, like, real estate just... It, it, it elicits tons of emotions on people. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it doesn't help that sometimes the mortgage process can be a little bit tricky. And then you throw that in there and you're, you just spend all this time finding a house and going through the motions with that. And then you have to go through the mortgage process. So that's kind of the end that I get. 
And it can be frustrating, and we do our best to kind of coach people through and make the that a little bit easier. The whole buying process can be tricky. Yeah, the whole the whole process, there's two sides of it. Um, what's funny is that we still get realtors that say, oh, yeah, this is going to be really easy. You know, we just got to find the – granted, that is what a realtor – half of what I think a realtor should do is, is – help you walk through the process to, to say it is easy because you don't want to be overwhelmed and you want to be able to make the right decision. Six years ago, me, my friend Art, and my friend Steve all decided to buy a house. And Art bought a house made out of hay. <laughs> and it's really close to all the other houses in San Carlos. I bought a house made out of, of um, sticks. And it was, it was on the smaller side, but it was very, very nice. And Steve bought a bigger house that was just bigger and it was made out of um, wood um, and steel and polycarbonates and fibers and stuff and long story short art bought by a, a lot of other people who wants to live by a lot of other no one no one so his house it gets blown over in a storm so he bought his for nine hundred thousand. it's probably worth 1.2 not bad not bad six years later i bought a house for nine hundred thousand. it's worth 1.8 a little more fewer neighbors a little more creek better school district not on top of each other um, but the guy who bought the house for 1.2, I was like, you're crazy. You're spending way too much money. You live on top of a hill. Just sold it for $2.5 million. Yep. So I'm like, my house is too small. It's <laughs> too, I need to, I, I don't know. I'm trapped in too small of a house. Now, th- this is for fictitious purposes. We didn't really build houses out of straw, wood, and polycarbonate materials. But the guy who took the bigger chance got the bigger reward. And that's where, like, you get into this. But he also had the most downside. Yeah, he had the most risk. There's certainly the risk factor there that a lot of people take. Um, You you brought up a good point, Rob, that a lot of people have done exactly what Steve Art and Rob did. Please call me Mr. Black. Mr. Black, uh, homeowner. And they're they're feeling trapped. Um, And it's not just on the... The size of the house, but the ability to find another house to actually move to, uh, maybe into a better school district or just another room because of a, a fa- another family member is popping out of a, a spouse. But uh, is that your way of saying having a baby? Having a baby, another family member popping out of a spouse. Yeah. Okay, I'm good with it. I, mean, I call my parents spawn units. Okay. I call them um, just kind of a brotherly thing, paternal and maternal unit. Sure. So. The units. So. Gotcha. Uh, Mama had a baby it, and her head popped off. <laughs> sure. It's kind of like the Monty Python skit in the, in oh, the very it, first scene of uh, Meaning of Life where she's the English woman's cooking in the kitchen and she's Catholic <laughs> and a baby just falls out on the ground. <laughs> Some kid comes pick it up. And like two a uh, minute later, another baby pops out. Yeah. And then another minute, like kind of a statement on There's a lot of millennials and even younger people who don't even know what that is. Look it up. Monty Python was fantastic. It's only a wafer thing. Yeah. I couldn't eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. (laughs) Bugger horse. I dedicate that clip to Marco. And what's funny is a few minutes later, he explodes. Which is... So let's go back to the emotions on it. I kind of said... I know what I want to afford. I'm not going to extend myself. And six years later, six years later, I, I wish I kind of extended myself. Yeah. So that's kind of looking back. In I wish you bought you, bigger. But again, I did buy what I should have bought. 
That's the number one regret. I made the right decision. That is the number one regret that homeowners have after buying a house is that they wish they bought bigger. I think what ends up happening is a lot of people find the when they take on that the, the first emotions of buying a house and then that large payment that comes along with it, then they realize that they can actually afford it. Not afford it. I, mean, I don't want to say that. I want to say they find ways to make ends meet and they go, you know, we could have afforded another $100,000, $200,000, $300 in a mortgage, which would have translated into another fifty dollars or $100,000 in a purchase price, which would have meant another room or an office or a garage or a bigger yard. And... I did. I had that same emotion when I bought my house. I wish I got the bigger garage. I wish I put the fireplace. Anyway, bring in the idea on emotions because it's a big thing and people get overwhelmed. And I remember even signing my first set of mortgage docs. I'm like, is this going to end? I don't want to do this anymore. Like I almost canceled the transaction because I was stressed, anxiety. Yeah, you're buying another house. Anyway, you can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. He'll help you get the loan done. That's what he does. He gets loans done. That's his bumper sticker. If you ever want to key a car, it says, I get loans done. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Now, chatting with Coach Sendak, your Santa Clara Broncos basketball report. It's now time for checking with our partners at Santa Clara Basketball for this week's chat with Coach Sindek. Here's the voice of the Broncos, Anthony Passarelli with Coach. Here for this week's chat with Coach Sindek segment brought to you by Heffernan Insurance Brokers. Heffernan, proud partner of Santa Clara Athletics. Coach, it seemed like just uh, a week or two ago we were talking about the start of conference play as the Broncos uh, get to the final weekend of conference play. Before we talk about those games and senior night, uh, nice win against Pacific on Saturday on the road in Stockton. I saw a different Bronco team. I saw a little bit more of a, an aggressive, physical Bronco team than I think we'd seen in games past. Well, our guys most certainly competed uh, with grit and determination on, on Saturday night. Um, KJ continues to really help propel us uh, to victory. Uh, as the game hung in the balance, he really made two tremendous individual plays, hit a long three, and then he split a double team and got to the basket. And the Broncos actually swept uh, the weekend, winning at Portland and winning at UOP. And now it's senior night tonight against LMU. And, uh, you know, you've been through quite a few of these. How do you balance the objective of going out and winning the game while trying to, you know, send the seniors out in the right way? Well, winning the game helps send them out in the right way. Um, but obviously, um, you know, there tends to be um, an emotional moment before the game as we pay tribute to the seniors and um, you know it's it's a time to reflect and sometimes easy to get uh, teary-eyed but then you have to quickly um, turn the page and start the game and, and and play the right way. There are a couple of seniors uh, at opposite ends of the spectrum one that's five years at Santa Clara and one that's just a one season we're talking about Emmanuel and uh, Henry Caruso uh, about Emmanuel, I know you've been for a couple of years with him. Uh, what kind of development have you seen with him? He had a career high, uh, big points, big rebounds, and he seems to be playing a bigger role the last few games. Well, he's playing his career best basketball. I thought he improved tremendously last season. Uh, didn't get off uh, to his best start this year. Um, 
but now he's taken another quantum step forward and is even better than he was uh, at his peak last year. And his emergence and his better play has meant the world to our team. And then Henry Caruso, all the different things, almost a Swiss Army knife in terms of what he brings, the, the different aspects to the team, hard-nosed, always seems to be positive. And, and what, what has he meant to this, this group? Well, he's been terrific, and it starts, as you mentioned, Anthony, with his competitive toughness. Uh, you always get his very best effort. Uh, he most certainly leads our team in hustle plays, um, you know, he's just a he just a, a winner and a, an easy guy to cheer for, and uh, we're blessed to have him this year. And regrettably, didn't have him here at Santa Clara for his whole career because um, he's a guy who's fun to watch and easy to cheer for. Well, it'll be a special night tonight at, at uh, the Levy Center as the Broncos take on LMU. Come on out, watch the game at the Levy Center. Get your tickets online or call the Bronco Ticket Office. Uh, Coach, thanks a lot as always. Thank you, Ed. Be sure to catch the Broncos and West Coast Conference play this season right here on 1220 KDOW, the home of Santa Clara basketball. That's Tony Mendez, and you can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. About kids and getting a house, and it comes with a lot more expenses than you think. I remember stressing out. You're like, Rob, you need to go to Bank of America and send a, you know, a check. What's, what's it called when you go and get earnest, a, earnest money deposit? Something along those lines. When you get that, like, a check written on the spot. I don't even know what that's called. Cashier's check. Cashier's check. So you get a cashier's check and you need to have this done today by noon. I'm like, dude, why didn't you tell me that like six days ago? Um, but it ultimately, that's how lending works. Like you do the best you can at communicating There's as fast definitely as you can. A lot more pressure in a purchase than there is a refinance. You not only are getting pressure from the lender right. side to get things, okay. you know, so that the loan will move forward, but you're also getting pressure from the seller to fit that escrow period. Okay. Um, and in this kind of market, a lot of those escrow periods are pretty short. You're also waiting for the appraisal. Did the appraisal come in where you wanted it to? And did you even include an appraisal contingency? There's a lot of pressures. Uh, I did, uh, we do our best. I, it's almost like counseling, hold, holding hands through yeah. the whole process. And we do it very well. Um, we've been doing it for a long time, but it, it's still, that pressure is still going to be there. Not everybody handles it well. We're working with a client right now who just on a purchase is slowing things down because he wants to read everything. He's really scared about mistakes and the IRS. And um, so we, we do hit all, t- all types of personalities going through this type of transaction. You know what you should do? You should probably like get like a box of snakes and throw them <laughs> on them. <laughs> yeah, it could be a lot worse. Did I, I, I'm sorry about the snort, but yeah. Did I just um, drop a box of snakes on you? Sorry. <laughs> it could be a lot worse. He's not yeah, thinking about the IRS contingencies at that point in time. Nope. I travel with a box of snakes, just so you know, because <laughs> it's always fun to throw around. Um, but actually, you, you bring up a good point. I remember I was saying this today, the other day. Um, I said, I feel really lucky that I've got a mortgage that's at 3.25%. You got me a loan at 325 Now, you can't pull that off for everyone, and it was incredibly lucky. Because was, that's the right timing when, was lucky, yes. Yeah, that's when the UK was leaving the, uh, the European Brexit. Union, the Brexit. Yeah. And people panicked. And literally within like 24 hours, I'm like, lock it, lock it, lock it. Did you lock it? 
And then, like, we start going through some of the, the contingencies and some of the paperwork stuff. And I'm like, F you. I hate you. <laughs> um, the whole mortgage process is stressful for me, not just for your yeah. client who we're going to throw a box of snakes on. But I think it's stressful for a lot of people. Yeah, it's unfortunately not everybody in our industry can make the process as easy as as um, as it could be. There are, there are lenders that are really stepping up to make the paperwork a lot more streamlined. Right. Uh, they're, they're, some of them aren't even asking for W-2s and tax returns. They're getting all that information from on their own. So there's a, a degree of, of simplicity coming around the corner with a lot of these lenders, and it's being adopted very well by the industry on the, on the broker side and the lender side as well. So uh, there are some better times coming, but it, there's still also they're adding more paperwork and there's you know the realtor side that actual transaction there's still a amount of paperwork uh, involved with that and you, and we're still not quite at the point where you can sign closing documents um, uh, electronically I don't think that'll ever happen in front of a notary um, at least in our lifetime hmm. but um, you still kind of want to see the paperwork you kind you want to read it you want to know what's happening instead of uh, you go back and you see millennials they love convenience but yet. 86% of millennials still, I think it's 80 or 86, still shop with a physical realtor. They no longer shop. They, they've gone straight away from the whole internet and they like working with people. And I think we're going to continue staying like that because the house is a real thing. It's a place you're going to have babies and have lifetime memories. You really want to be involved in that. And I think people still like that part of the transaction. Interesting. I hate people. So <laughs> if I could do everything online, uh, my rent. My... I have a rental that I recently got a month-to-month kind of thing going on, and I had to sign a lot of paperwork, all electronically. I love it. So, love paperwork done electronically. Anyway, you can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He does all my mortgages. He should do your mortgages. Good guy. I like him, and I trust him. And you can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Stitch Fix, personal styling company, just filed for an IPO. It was profitable the last two years. It had $1 billion in revenue. Going to trade with ticker symbol SFXI. SFIX, that's what it is. SFIX. Um, and it's personally st- personal styling service. Uh, company claims nearly 2.2 million active clients and revenue of nearly $1 million. Company's profitable. So strongly believe that this is kind of a new type of retailing. The kind of plays, excuse me for being kind of grandiose when I say this, it kind of does something Amazon doesn't do terribly well. When you buy clothes from Amazon, you start with this concept of it's kind of ghetto or it's kind of, um, I don't want to use the word ghetto here. It's kind of, um, plain you kind of think that you're going to get like dockers at dockers or deckers docker plain brown vans um so this company does style in a box essentially um so it, it would it's going to be an interesting ipo customers fill out an online profile telling the company a bit about their personal style what they like to wear and how much they prefer it to cost the company then sends out a box full of items for you to try on complete with a prepaid return label the styling per box is $20, but the fee goes towards anything that you buy. So you have to buy something per box. Otherwise, it's $20. Um, and if it's a $20 t-shirt, then you're set. You basically covered what you're going to get. I love this idea. In large part, I don't consider myself very stylish, and I tend to find that a little bit too often, my style goes to like 
five straight years of everything from Banana Republic because I like their fit. Uh, then it's five straight years from Gap because I like their fit or their stores close to the home kind of thing. So Stitch Fix encourages customers to buy more of the items in each box by offering 25% discount if all five items are purchased. However, customers are not required to buy anything, and if they can send all the items back, it's just that $20 fee. This is something that Amazon doesn't necessarily do terribly well, but they're getting into that business, and there's nothing that they can't do that's even similar to it. So it's kind of cute, because let's say you like a, um, let's say that they send you something that you've never had, like a, uh, uh, a Japanese wrap, a sarong, or something along those lines, and it's got this print on it of like flowers, and you, you basically could fill out a form that says, I like the way it fit, but the print was a little bit mm, teenager. Next month, you may get the same exact dress, just black. That's kind of cool. So it is personalized on some level. Stitch Fix, S-F-I-X. And um, I think if you're Amazon, I think if you're Macy's, I think if you're any major retailer, you need to be doing something similar to that because people like me hate shopping. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Um, Don't mind the idea of getting a box and seeing what they sent this month because there's kind of a treasure chest feel to it. So remember when the Black Monday hit Wall Street and people were jumping out of buildings? Stock market had this massive crash uh, 30 years ago. It was 30 years ago on a day just like today. In fact, it was today. And you see this clown suddenly with red balloons. (laughs) You're like, don't go near crazy looking clown and then you quickly learn that's not a clown that's kelly conway next to her is another clown donald trump no don't go it's on wall street please no 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 okay so that's enough the market dropped 22.6 percent in one friggin day but why did it do that was it a bad jobs report was it gdp going negative was it an atomic bomb being exploded? Was it a president being assassinated? Uh, what was it? What was the cause? What was happening in October of 1987? Was it? What was it? Did gold fall 50%? Was there something there? Was there a hint? Here's what it was. It was nothing. The economy was doing quite well. And people forget that. So a huge sell-off could slow the economy and even lead to a recession in the stock market. So today, if the stock market were to drop 22%, I would feel less wealthy. And I would probably not go to Hawaii and spend money. Um, I'd probably not go to Mexico and spend money. I'd probably not get that new truck that I want to get. So as scary as October was, U.S. economic growth remained resilient even before the stock market crash and even after the stock market crash. That's the one thing that people tend to forget is it didn't have any sort of lingering effect. It's the most important thing to remember on a market that's down 25%. For some reason, it didn't lead to bad things and it wasn't caused by bad things. And that's your story of the day. I know you're saying, thank you, Rob. Thank you. I'm going to tell that exact story to my children tonight as I put them to bed. And now you know. My next story is about when that special time of the month comes for the first time on flow. So you're going to want to gather everyone around the fire tonight for that story. No way. I know. I know. I'll shut up now. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, Snapchat. No, I'm not going to do this story. I could do this story. Oh, snap. They're selling the dancing hot dog costume on eBay. On Amazon. So you know the dancing hot dog? Can you dig it? $80. Now, what did I say earlier? The average American spends like $80 on Halloween costumes. I think that's funny. 
So Nike is losing its lead in one key area of demographic growth. And um, I throw that out there in large part because I, like, I own Nike and I like Nike. For the first time in a decade, though, the swoosh did not have the most popular sneaker in the U.S. Um, who did? It was Adidas. And it passed the Jordan brand in U.S. sales. Nike's most recent quarter, its performance um, was, was ultimately flat. So you got to go way, way, way back. So now, again, this time last year, you had the Summer Olympics and you had the Euro Cup both being going on. So Nike sold a lot of shoes, a lot of commercials during those events. And then a lot of people going, I want to play soccer like that guy just did. Or I want to run the 100 meter dash like that guy just did. So I'm going to go buy some Nikes. Uh, Nike's kind of jerks when it comes to athletes. They kind of are, just so you know. The Nike's laying off about 2% of its staff. They're losing dominance in what key market? Teenagers. So, and that's kind of a scary thing because you could start thinking about, you know, the backlash if teenagers ever turn against uh, Facebook, which they kind of have. And Facebook just bought an app that a lot of teenagers have been using. So if teenagers ever turn their, their back on brands, ooh, they, it could be tough because they are not only the current users, uh, the big users, the big spenders, they're the big spenders, right? And that's kind of important. So that's worthy of note in mind. So Nike losing a key demographic. Now forget burnout. The more pressing problem in your career um, is, you know, the career ledge. When you've reached a peak in your career and you're not burned out, but you're ready to jump. It's becoming more of a problem amidst rising expectations of universities and professional associations, high competition for graduate roles, and increasing pressure for businesses to perform in the globalized economy. So it's hitting the cliff, career ledging. It's a phenomenon that's pretty widespread at this point in time. A lot of people suffer from career ledging. Um, it's detrimental to the future success of a personal career path. It's very little is being done to address the issues and support workers on a national level. But being stuck on a career ledge is where high achievers basically reached a peak point in their career um, or reached the top of their tree, and they just don't know how to move forward anymore. And high achiever attributes you know, um, have helped them get to where they are, and then they get to the point of, what do I do now? And a lot of times what they do is self-sabotage. And in no way, shape, or form am I saying Harvey Weinstein did that. I think he's you know, technically a predatory monster. Have you ever said to yourself, like, man, he has it all. He runs a movie studio that's kicking out great movies. Like, why would you do this? Why would you sabotage yourself with this? Potentially, maybe he was bored. Maybe he hit a career ledge where he couldn't go any higher. Now, again, I, I'm, I'm guessing there, and it's a, a stupid thing to do. Uh, maybe he always had the DNA of a predator. I don't know. But I can tell you that uh, I understand the idea of career legend because I once had a national radio show. And I was kind of hot. I was kind of the, the big bucket of chicken. You know, when you go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, you get a bucket of chicken, and you're like, I'm going to share this with all my friends. And you start eating it, and then you eat more. And you're like, I'm going to share it with two of my friends, and you eat more. I'm going to share it with my best friend, and you eat more. And you eat the whole dang bucket of chicken. I was that bucket of chicken. So the queer ledge is an important thing to talk about. As this, how shall we say, Bubblegum pop brings up the point. So pay attention to people who hit a career ledge. I'm Rob Black, Money Investing More. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Um, stocks that you can buy 
I'm always interested in this, that are raising their dividends. Um, it's one of the criteria that financial advisors look for, because in good times and bad times, you get that dividend. Rising earning estimates often augur well for a company. As they earn more money, they say, we're going to pay you more money. Do you see how it kind of works together? Now, unfortunately, this has been a problem because everyone's started to figure this out. The market's taken notice of big companies with big payouts, um, and they sport a one-year total return of about 43% compared to 26% for the S&P 500. Now, the S&P 500, that's not shabby, but big tech giants like Cisco and Texas Instruments top lists when you do a quant numeric search for companies who have increased their dividends since six months ago. Uh, Cisco is the sultan of switches, the ruler of routers, and other building blocks of the internet. It's now expected to pay a dividend of $1.20. That's up 13% from earlier estimates. Now, that's pretty good. Good time, bad time, they pay a buck twenty for each share that you own. And if they do that with one share, then they do $0.30 cents four times the year, usually. Some companies do it monthly. Some companies do it annually. Some companies do what have you. And you're going to see a lot of companies raise their dividends, and that's going to be a catalyst to give some support to the market. And companies like Apple, who do big buybacks, they like it when the market pulls big time back. But we're talking about companies that are upping their dividend. I think it's something you should look at. And if you're bored, Google companies that are up, upping their dividend. <laughs> Google still works, you know. Although I find myself playing with different uh, search engines from time to time. Other companies with rising dividends other than just uh, Cisco and Texas Instruments. I like Texas Instruments, by the way. You know why I like Texas Instruments? Because no one ever talks about Texas Instruments. Um, Oracle, they've upped their dividend a lot in the last six months, as has Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, and J.P. Morgan Chase. This is a list of stocks that I have on a shopping list. Union Pacific, what do they make? They don't make anything. They're a choo-choo train company, and they basically dominate an area of the country that they, that, you know, it's tough to serve. It's tough to compete with a train company. Guess what? I want to come up with a flying car to move goods around. I like trains over trucks because one trucker makes $100,000, $120,000 a year. One train conductor does the same. The difference is the trucker can pull maybe two truckloads at a time whereas a train could pull 100 truckloads at a time. So I like Comcast for their dividend. I hate them for their business model. So that one I stay away from because I build cases on flags. Wells Fargo, no one likes them. They ripped off customers. They opened fraudulent accounts. That doesn't bother me because our government tends to slap the wrists of banks. And uh, in a rising interest rate environment, banks are going to be good. Good, good, good. Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, um, I'm throwing my cards out there for you, ladies and gentlemen. Are you listening? Also, I like healthcare companies, AbbVie. They make the blockbuster, blockbuster drug Humira. And United Health, which is a, a player on health insurance, which, trust me, um, I've got awful healthcare. And I've, it's great healthcare, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it covers what I want it to cover. Uh, Real Estate Investment Trust is raising its quarterly dividend, uh, Simon Property uh, Group. So they make my list of I like you a lot. So from Dumb and Dumber, um, I don't know, could that movie be made today? Is it politically correct or not? They don't say they're challenged. They don't say that they've got learning disabilities. They just make them really dumb, which I guess that does exist out there, right? 
Fox made a big bet on buying five years of Thursday night football. And could they be the big winner in TV sports? Because they're kind of late. Not, not, yeah, yeah, they're kind of late themes. Fox Sports 1 and everything compared to ESPN. And ESPN built this big wall. And Fox built a very small wall. So the expectations were very low. So Fox, owned by 21st Century Fox, agreed to sell its regional sports networks, which broadcast local games to ESPN. That'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Their sports properties are going to be Sunday afternoon football, Thursday in, uh, football including Super Bowls every third year, Major League Baseball, including the World Series, lots of comprehensive local markets like Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, college, lots of NCAA, including Big Ten soccer, um, MMA. So Fox Sports Go, obviously a streaming service. ESPN is going to get into a streaming service in 2018 or 2019. Let's give them a little bit of time to figure it out. They're going to get into it. Will it be a real competitor to Netflix? Good question. Very good question. Um, stay with me in the days to come, in the weeks to come, in the years to come. You can always find me on iTunes under Rob Black and Your Money, Rob Black and Your Money, on Facebook, Rob Black. Um, I hate Rob Black. I hate Rob Black. And that's my Facebook page. And on, I have Cron for Rob Black. Um, check me out online. You can find me at Rob Black Show, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Um, have a plan. Have an agenda. Good economies, bad economies, good stock markets, bad stock markets. Remember, when you have a good economy, a great economy, it tends to portend bad things down the road for the stock market and vice versa. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Find me at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.